As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. Joining me, as always, in Zoom conference is the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, I understand you are in Cincinnati. I am in Cincinnati. First of all, it's good to have you back, Ted. Uh, my, my one it's week, good to be back. My one week reign yeah. of terror on the podcast is over. Uh, it's, it you know, is- I, you'll, I'll say... I'll say it's it's a little odd to uh, like I, I had I had surgery last week and like go under and then go into this like pain medicine haze for a few days and come out of it and Ender and Ciarte is on the Mets now. <laughs> I mean, look, it, I take a, a road series off here and there, uh, more so this year with our travel. Uh, but uh, the same thing happens where you you get in clubhouse, you're like, oh. Who's on the Who's in the bullpen now? You know, you you follow right. along, but if the guys yeah. don't pitch when they're they're on the road, you you don't always know uh, exactly who the eighth and ninth men in the bullpen are. So uh, so tell me about uh, we. I understand some complications involving your hotel room. So for the first time, you know, I've I've been covering baseball for uh, fourteen seasons, twelve as a traveling beat writer. So I've been on the road a lot, um, but I think this is the this is the first time I've ever had to switch hotel rooms. Uh, as for you know, one on the road for baseball purposes, I, I did once have to switch uh, when I was younger in college because we booked a room at a, a cheap hotel, uh, and they the first room that they gave us a key to was uh, very obviously occupied by someone else. No, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but, but so this is the first time, and and I'd gotten you know. You stay in enough hotel rooms at Marriott Properties, you get uh, like rewards points, and you can upgrade your room. So I upgraded to maybe the nicest hotel room I've ever, I've ever been in, which is a bi-level, like two-story. It had like a little loft area uh, hotel room here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati feels like it's it's like a Cincinnati feels like a city where you can live large. <laughs> and this is like it's a courtyard, but it's a, a new courtyard, uh, and. Uh, the the room has like these floor to ceiling gorgeous windows. It's great motorized blinds. Small problem, the blinds don't work. Um, and oh yeah, the the listeners may know that I have a, a, a newborn at home, and it is it is difficult to go on the road and leave my child at home with my wife. I, I miss him very much. Uh, but one of the advantages to being on the road is purportedly 
the ability to sleep more than you would at home with a newborn, uh, that advantage is rendered less of one when the blinds don't close. Uh, and when the windows yeah. are this large. Like, you know, if it were if it were one window and it were not east-facing and the blinds didn't close, like, okay, but this is like eight floor-to-ceiling windows. <laughs> this, everything, everything that made the room great was undercut by the blinds. Maybe... Maybe that's why they gave you the upgrade. Maybe they're just like, oh, this guy won't care. Like, hey, you want a really fancy room? And it's like, I, I, I asked him, like, you know, because I, I, I tried, because it was motorized blinds, I tried it, like, the minute I got in the room, I'm like, ooh, motorized blinds, <laughs> like like a 12-year-old. Uh, and I'm like, oh, right, but course. they're not working. And then I realized that could be a problem. So I, like, had called down and I asked if they could fix it. And they're like, yeah, we'll get on that. And then when I got back, you know, you get back after a game, it's pretty late. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we didn't, we were not able to fix that. Oh. Um, <sighs> And so I, I, I stayed there, uh, the one, you know, I stayed there last night and I, I was able to sleep until, you know, I did. sunrise did not wake me up, but I did not sleep as late as I would have otherwise. Are you someone who unpacks when you get to a hotel room? No, not, I mean, maybe I used to be when I started, but uh, when you're in a place for three days, like yeah. you unpack, you know, toiletries and stuff like that. But uh, the, the rest of my clothes are just strewn about on top of the, the suitcase. Last question on this. Where do you rank Cincinnati among uh, major league cities to visit? Um, you know, I, I haven't... Been... And I don't need it to be a specific number. Just to give me a range. It's pro- I would probably rank it better than most people, but it's still probably around 25. Um, oh, wow. That's, see, I... You know, I, like, it's not like I'm, like, in, in love with the city of Cincinnati, but it's, it's a fairly, like, convenient place to to stay when you're covering the team, right? Like, it's like the hotels are very close to the park, and then there's also, like, a walkable places-to-get-food area there. Yeah. That, I, I think Cincinnati is underrated. I mean, this is, this is my first time here in four years. It's the first time, only the third, fourth time total. Uh, and actually, like, the first time I came here, uh, I think it was in 2014, uh, and they've built several hotels closer to the ballpark since then, which is really nice. Like, the first time I, I stayed in Kentucky uh, across the river, like, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. did at that time. Uh, so... It, you know, now that you're in an area where you can walk to the ballpark, you can walk to the, the I think over the Rhine neighborhood is, is supposed to be the really cool spot where I'm going to head out for lunch yeah. after we've finished recording this. So I, I like all that. Uh, I, you know, the the weather is not oh, great here. It's generally very hot in the summer uh, and it's, it's supposed to get up to about 96 or 97 degrees today and humid. Uh, so that is a detract, detractor for me. It's also difficult Fair. to get to. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's also so. Great. I had to I had to connect yeah. on Monday and you know connect from New York, which uh, I don't think I'd had to do since I took the you know I used to connect from Boston every once in a while, but I don't think I'd ever had to connect from New York before. I I went there for the All Star game a few years back, and I I guess I was there for I was scheduled to be there for four days, and my flight got canceled, and I wound up spending a fifth day, and I would say like Cincinnati was very cool for four days. Yeah, I mean um, that was yeah like there there are people who who criticize the, the cities we go to it's like if you if you can't find enough places in a, a major american city to tide you over for two or three days like what, right, do, what exactly. are you doing you know uh, and you get to see different stuff what is um, do, what is your yeah. 30 out of 30 city to go to st louis yes yeah 100 um, percent. not even close the only i i, I could i don't i like they're, they're, i don't like to rip on any places where people live but it's a it's a non that's like a that's the easiest layup in debate history because there's not even like hotels right near the the ballpark so it's difficult to walk to the park 
Uh, and and then there's there's like the the only the 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 last time I was in St. Louis, the the coffee place closest to my hotel was inside a casino. So to get coffee, <laughs> I had to like walk past the roulette tables, and that's a that's an issue for me. Yeah, the, the, I haven't been there in a I think also since 2018. Uh, and my biggest problem with that at the time was that like you could there was no place to go after a game. Every, everything was closed. Right. There was no you know yeah. the the ballpark village that they built there might might have changed things, but uh, I, I generally don't like ballpark villages. Uh, I don't like yeah. I don't like the battery in Atlanta. Uh, there's different there's there's a kind of thing like that here in Cincinnati. It's not it's not directly tied to the ballpark, but I like uh, I don't I don't like going to that area after a game. Uh, as much as just going to like a normal restaurant and bar to get some late night food. And I've only ever done like playoffs in St. Louis. So that ballpark village area is after a game. That's a no go. You know, you're not going to I don't know. I'm not going to go hang out in the ballpark village area right after a playoff game when it's just loaded with people. So, yeah, it's I mean, it's a bleak scene, <laughs> um, but uh, but not in not bleak news and more topical. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday in the early afternoon and I'm knocking on wood, I'm crossing my fingers, but uh, as it's lined up right now, Max Scherzer will be starting for the Major League Mets. He is no longer a rumble pony. Wait, fan, the people want to hear about this and not about our travel stories? Uh, I want to hear, I mean, I like, I, I, I like talking to, pe- to people about various random American cities. It's like a, one of the fun things you get to do if you cover baseball for a while, but... Uh, you know, people want to hear about Max Scherzer. Yes, Max Scherzer is is slated to make the Tuesday night start for the Mets. Uh, he, he missed, uh, I think it will end up being 41 games, so so basically half of what the Mets have played so far. Uh, and you look, they were 25-14 and 14 with him, and they were 25-16 and 16 without him, so that's really impressive that they were able to maintain that pace. Uh, they were And they were able to do so, you know, uh, while some of their other start, you know, you, you when, when he went down, you figured, well, the other guys have to step up. You know, Chris Bassett has to step up. Carlos Carrasco has to step up. Taiwan Walker has to step up. And Walker's really the only of those three who did so. Uh, Bassett and mm-hmm. Carrasco have been worse since Scherzer went down than they had been before. Walker has been really consistent throughout the season. He pitched really well on Monday night. You know, I saw, like, other uh, people uh, pointing out, like, oh, he's got a, you know, a 2-5 ERA over 10 starts. He's got a, a 2-3 ERA in his last eight or something like that. And it's like, well, he's got a 2-8 for the year, you know? You just... Right. We don't need to parse when, when a guy is, is pitching as well as he is. So uh, he's been really good, and he was really good on Monday night. You know, one kind of opposite field poke from Brandon Drury aside. Uh, so that's been really helpful for them. And and really, the you know Trevor Williams did not pitch well his last time out, but in general, he's been able to keep the Mets in games, and he's been the guy that, that has basically been in Scherzer's spot. And David Peterson has pitched really well, especially of late, uh, his last two starts. Uh, so they've, you know, the, the rotation has not been the strength that you wanted it to be if you were the Mets coming into the season, if the, the strength you expected it to be when you thought you were going to have a, a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer all season. But they've been at least able to hold the fort with their rotation uh, so that, you know, it's not like their offense is a world-beating offense, and it certainly wasn't in the month of June, uh, but they were still able to have a, an above 500 month because they do enough things well enough uh, that, that they're able to, to, to tread water. I mean, they went 25 and 16 in the in the interim between Max Scherzer's starts. That's that's really like considering that Degrom is out and that McGill made I think you know one plus starts in there. Um, for so so for most of that stretch, they're going with you know starters seven and eight in the rotation. Uh, that's that's good. Twenty five and sixteen. Yeah, that's a that's a playoff pace without Scherzer and Degrom. You've got to be really happy with that. And look, the, this is their eighty first game. 
on Tuesday night. So it, you can do the math is nice and easy. Uh, they have 50 wins already, so they are on a triple-digit win pace. Uh, and even if that itself doesn't continue, you you do feel good. This is pro- you know the Atlanta is good. This is probably not the 2021 National League West where 106 wins will not be enough to to win the division. Right. Uh, so you know halfway through the season, you, you really can't be any happier with how the, the Mets have played uh, and, and where they've positioned themselves, especially given the circumstances around DeGrom and Scherzer. And it hasn't at, at all been one guy. You know, like, it's been so spread out. It feels like, you know, you get worried about, okay, like, Nimmo. Like, right now, re- recently, Nimmo has been struggling. He, he hit the home run, hit a really good game on Monday night. Maybe he's coming out of it. But earlier in the season, Nimmo was their best player. And, and you know, there's for, for a stretch, it's Alonzo. And for a stretch, it's McNeil. And for a stretch, it's Marte. And, um, and like, so Mark Canna is, like, the one guy who's just been sort of, like, steady throughout getting, you know, like, getting his singles, getting on base. But for the rest of them, for the most part, it feels like, you know, you at any given point, you're like, oh, this guy's slumping, this guy's slumping. But there's always someone, and this is about the depth that we keep talking about, there are always enough guys performing well that they're winning games. Um, and so you look at, when you talk about pace stats, like, if you look at wins above replacement, there's no one on the team who is on track for, like, a five win, which is where you'd say, like, a it's like a star season, right? Um, there's no one on the team who's going to do that. There's just a bunch of guys who are going to have four win seasons, which is, like, a really, really good, se- really, really good year. Um, so it's interesting. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, there's no, like, mega star here, at least without DeGrom and Scherzer having contributed much, uh, but it's just a good team. Yeah, and it, uh, like Alonzo is, is clearly the one having the best season uh, on the roster. He's, he's the pace has slowed just a little bit in the last week or ten days or so. Uh, War is, is never going to be kind to a right hand to, to a, right. uh, a first baseman, uh, especially one who who isn't piling up defensive value like Alonzo. Uh, but you look at their you know I'm, I'm on their baseball reference page and you run down just things like OPS plus and. Uh, you know, catcher has obviously been uh, the, the the main problem in the lineup. That's I think they've got the 30th out of their their catcher production is 30 out of 30 uh, in terms of OPS this so far this season. But outside of that, uh, you know, it's Alonzo's 153, McNeil 135, Lindor 114, Cano 111, Nimmo and Marte both at 123, and then JD Davis and, and Eduardo Escobar 95 and 94 respectively. You know, they're not giving at bat outside of the catcher position. They, they really don't have non-competitive at bats. Uh, and I remember, like, last year reading, it was Grant Brisby, uh, who covers uh, the Giants for us, uh, had written, you know, maybe it was in the offseason, just the, how few innings the Giants had given to below-average pitchers based off ERA+, plus, uh, that, like, all of their relievers had an ERA plus of 100 or better by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of—the the Mets aren't wholly there the way the Giants were. You know, they've, they've got you know, a guy like Carrasco, his ERA is above the league average, you know. Their, their lefties certainly have been that way in the bullpen. But uh, you look at the roster and the, the large majority of plate appearances, you know, plate appearances which the Mets are pitching and plate appearances which the Mets are batting, are, are the Mets are putting up someone who is better than the league average. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something that you haven't been able to say about this team, especially when this team encounters injuries in the past. Uh, when you look at the the first half performances, like let's let's track out pace stats. Does forty four home runs sound right to, for Pete Alonso? Yeah, I mean, I, I think coming into the season, you would have said like forty forty one. So he's just a little ahead of that. Yeah. The, the RBIs is on pace for one hundred and forty or so, uh, which you know the, the team record is one twenty four. So uh, that would be that would be something. We haven't had. 
I think it's been since Alex Rodriguez in 2009, since baseball had a 150 RBI guy. And, and Alonzo was on pace for that for a little bit, but, but the last week has taken him off it. You realize just how insane it is to, to drive in 150 runs. You do have to drive in a run just about every night. And it's a testament to, to like the guys hitting ahead of him, really, Nimmo and Marte and, and Lindor on most nights, um, which, is, which is wild because like, Lindor and, and Marte are both around 330 on base percentage. It's not like it's uh, Jeff Kent piling up RBIs because he's batting right behind Barry Bonds, but one of those guys is on base frequently enough that Alonzo's had a lot of opportunities there. And, uh, and, Lindor's, and Lindor's, Lindor's driven in so many runs himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. It's, I have to, like, dive into how that's happened um, because, you know, like, his, his overall numbers, they don't jump out at you. They've gotten, when I looked at them in depth, you know, two, three weeks ago, they weren't that much better than they were last year by the end of the season, by the end of last year. Uh, and really since, like, June 1st of last year, he had been relatively, they're hot streaks and cold streaks, but relatively in, more in line with what you expected uh, Lindor to be coming in. Uh, but that like the, he's driven in 57 runs in 80 games, so that's a, a pace for about 110, 115 RBIs, and not, nothing about his numbers jumps out. Like it's not like he's been way better with runners in scoring position. He's batted with more guys on base, but not like an absurd number of more guys on base. Uh, he's actually like he's driving in a higher percentage of guys on base, but I, I'm not exactly sure why there's been this enormous spike in RBIs for him uh, this year compared to last year when he finished the season with 63 and he's got 57 already. I mean, I don't know if this is what's what's doing that with Lindor and this is one of those like wholly unmeasurable things. I I guess I don't know. Maybe there are some ways you can measure it if you look at like base running success and stuff like that, but it does feel like they've just played good baseball. You know, like it just like they whether it's you know productive outs and like all these stupid things that I hate to 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 trumpet um that because they're like that that like beloved old school sacrifice bunt world or attached to it but like there's obviously value in great base running and smart fielding and smart base running like oh and it feels like under buck showalter they're just capitalizing capitalizing on their opportunities more often than they did in the past now that could be a coincidence um it could be confirmation bias but um it's a 50 and 30 team so maybe when a team is good you just sort of notice that happening more often yeah and 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 you know, one of the possible explanations I have to dive into it uh, for like why Lindor is driving in more runs is a hit with a man on second scores a run for this team in a way that it didn't last year. You know, mm-hmm. I remember writing late last season that, that they were the worst team in like 15 years and scoring from second on base hits. Uh, so that, you know, they, they do a lot of those little things. You know, the, we, I, I've mentioned on Twitter, I don't know if we've talked about the number of sacrifice flies they've had. <laughs> like they've got mm-hmm. more sack flies. They've got significantly more by now sack flies this year than they did all of last season. Uh, I think they're second in the league in sack flies. Uh, so it's, it's things like that that are not necessarily sexy, uh, but get the job done over the course of 162 games. Uh, you know, and, and they'll need more power eventually, and we've seen it a little bit in the last four games uh, since I, I wrote about it on Friday. Uh, that, and Eduardo Escobar homered in each game over the weekend against Texas. Uh, you got two home runs last night from, from Lindor and Nimmo. They always seem to, to hit home runs in Cincinnati, uh, they, yeah. regardless of, of what the roster is doing otherwise. Uh, but you know they, they will need to hit for more power as the season goes on. And if and when they do, that they have all of the other things that supplement that really well. Uh, and that would make this uh, a, a really good, well-rounded offense. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On the flip side of things, and someone something we haven't really uh, mentioned yet. I mean, I alluded to it, but uh, Jacob Degrom appeared in a game, right? Uh, uh, he made a Sunday one and two thirds innings, a short outing, but he did strike out five guys and and hit one, um, throwing triple digits. Is this happening? Can we can we count on an All Star break, Jacob Degrom return? I mean, we are two or three days away from the anniversary of his last major league game, uh, which was last July uh, against the Brewers, and it was it was very good to see Jacob Degrom back in a professional baseball game. Uh, you know, spring training, he's also done, uh, but uh, good to see him back. Regardless, despite the uniforms that they made him wear in the minor leagues, oh, those which are seems atrocious. Like- How do you do that? It's Jacob Degrom. Like, have a little, I don't know, have a little respect. It seems like any, you know, it, there's always been this dynamic where like a, a major leaguer goes down for rehab start and has to wear a ridiculous uniform. But I feel like it's really been taken up a notch this year. Like we saw Robinson Cano in like a, a SpongeBob SquarePants uniform for the Padres. It's humiliating. Uh, I, I it's don't like, know. It's, yeah. I feel like if I were a major leaguer with some, you know, pedigree behind it, I would I would be able to change that. Like I feel like Chris Sale, I will. Just I will cut up your uniform. Yeah. <laughs> I will do a rehab assignment with you. I will fill up the seats in your stadium. I will not wear that jersey. But- I, I mean, I, like, I think that it, it probably is going to, like, it's an increasing thing because it feels like there's all the minor league teams are, like, the Rumble Ponies were the Binghamton Mets forever. But you can't just be that. You're not, you don't want to be the Mets anymore. You need to come up with a name like Yard Goats or Rumble Ponies <laughs> or whatever. So I think it's only going to get worse. Yeah. But. In terms of DeGrom, things are looking good. You know, I think if you play out the calendar, so he made that start on July 3rd. Buck Walter said on Monday that, you know, at the moment they're they're planning on him being on a five-day schedule. Uh, so they're not going to speed it up just because he, he only pitched to, to six hitters. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not going to lengthen it out. They don't feel they need to. So July 3rd it was the first one. July 8th is the second. July 13th would be the third. July 18th, the no, no affiliate is playing. It's the all-star break right. across the minors. Which is interesting, you know. It didn't. It hasn't always been that way. That the minor league leagues take their uh, all-star break at the same time as the major leagues. 
Uh, and so you would imagine there'd be some sort of sim game for DeGrom at that point over the All-Star break uh, mm-hmm. where he, he faces hitters. And then uh, after that, you know, July 23rd or so, you can imagine him being in the major leagues uh, facing the San Diego Padres. Or maybe it's the week after that facing the Yankees uh, or the Marlins. Uh, I, I would think... You know, sometime between now and the end of July, Jacob DeGrom is going to make his Major League debut for 2022 uh, is, is, I think, everyone's expectation at this point. It would take some sort of setback for that not to happen. Uh, that is a refreshing thing to hear because as referenced, uh, the Mets are 50 and 30 without the best pitcher on the planet. And so and and like at this point, really like half half of that span, right, without without Max Scherzer either, who's like the third best pitcher on the planet. Um, look at the guys who have been around. Uh, Chris Bassett uh, on pace for uh, like basically 190 innings, which I would say and he is out right now, but it, it doesn't seem it sounded like Buck Showalter said he won't be back like immediately, but uh, it is the it's the COVID IL, right? So it's it's safe to hope that he would be back in not that long. Yeah, I think the thought would be that he would be able to make a start, you know, if not by the by this time next week, uh, you know, pro- and probably by the end of this week. Like it was. So we can say we can take his pace stats and we can double his stats and say that's fair that he's going to get another 15 starts this year. Yeah, I, I think that that would be that's fair. So, you know, 190 innings, I mean, the, uh, the ERA plus 101, so league average, but I mean, 190 league average innings out of a starting pitcher is, is a good thing. Bassett's been a little bit better than that in the past, but I think you'd, you'd, you're certainly happy with, with what you're getting out of him. And I think he's one guy you would expect to be a little bit better, actually, in the well, second he half got of the season. Past, he got past his rough stretch. Yeah, he had his rough stretch, uh, which is, you know, at this point, like more than a quarter of, like a third of, you know, it was a five-start stretch. He's made 15 starts. Uh, So really a third of his season was with a 7 ERA. Uh, And so he's been better outside of that. And I think he's gotten gotten more comfortable with the the Mets catchers. Uh, It seemed like he was comfortable with James McCann before McCann was out. And then he struggled a little bit with Nito and Mazika. Just figuring out, you know, a guy who throws seven or eight pitches, uh, it's a little harder to get on the same page with him than it is uh, a guy who throws two or three. Uh, And especially because, you know, Bassett kind of knows what he wants to do. uh, So you got to work through that with a catcher. uh, And it seems like they were able to do that in his last couple of starts. Uh, But you look at, you know, he's on pace for that amount of innings. Carrasco has given them. uh, I I think if you said at the start of the season that Carlos Carrasco would be on pace for 170-ish innings, like that, you would take that uh, from him. Uh, And again, like the the last several starts, uh, the one over the weekend against Texas was good. The ones against Houston were not. Uh, but, you know, I think he's a guy whose ERA is higher than it feels like it should be. You know, right. He's actually, I mean, he's got a chance. Uh, he's got nine wins already. Uh, not far off a 20 win pace. Uh, it would be very funny if like the guy, you know, it's so hard for pitchers to get to 20 wins. If the guy who got to 20 wins did so with like an ERA that was higher than the league average. Right. Uh, but the guy on the team with, with the Grom and Scherzer. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you'd expect him to be a little bit better in the second half. You know, Ty mm-hmm. Walker, you, you probably don't expect to, to roll out of bed with another 286 ERA in the second half. But I, I don't think you expect it to be the same kind of drop off that he had last season. Uh, I think he learned a lot from from what happened last season uh, and is in better uh, a better position, you know, given that he's got an innings foundation that he didn't have last year to maintain right. his stuff. Uh, across the second half of the season. So and you look at the Mets rotation as a whole, and even kind of independent of DeGrom and Scherzer's return, you would expect a, a fair part of it to be better. Uh, and then you add in that those guys are coming back and you feel really good about where it's going. 
Yeah, uh, I think that's right. I was going to say with Carrasco, it feels like he's had like a number of these nightmare starts and otherwise a bunch of really good starts. I don't know if that's if that is uh, sort of like his, always been the case for him. But it feels like, you know, like on any given night, as as in his most recent start, he could be awesome. And maybe he had maybe he's through his rough patch as well, but he does feel like he'll be a bit better. I think you're right that Walker has been great. I don't know that you can count on him to be this great, but it seems like, uh, yeah, I would I would guess that having that that innings foundation built up, like you said, will help him down the stretch. Uh, the bullpen. Diaz has been awesome, right? I, I think uh, no no one's going to complain about a 1.95 ERA out of him, and at times it feels like he's been even better than that. Uh, and then, like, for all we've concerned ourselves with the rest of the bullpen all here, like, when now you look up and down, and it's like, well, look, like, Seth Lugo's been pretty good, and Adovino's been really good, and Andrew Smith got <laughs> torched in his, uh, on, on Monday, and that, that was a little bit frightening, but he's been good. Like, it, it feels like they've, they've, they've never, at no point has there been, like, a second lockdown guy in the bullpen, but at no point has the bullpen been a complete nightmare either. Yeah, you know, and, and Adovino has probably pitched uh, better than we've given him credit for over the course of mm-hmm. the first half of the season. We haven't talked about him a lot here. Uh, but he's he's pitched really well. Uh, you know, is is still not a perfect eighth inning guy because he, he's vulnerable to left-handed hitters. But uh, is a guy who, who's been really good. Uh, I, th- I think the concern you have with the bullpen, and, and this is perhaps concern, you know, is, is like Drew Smith is on pace to throw sixty-seven-ish innings. He, he's been above fifty, I think, once in his career in in terms mm. of professional innings. His major league high is forty-one or so. Uh, so you just wonder like how can Drew Smith be this good for the second half of the season. And I, that's not a bet I would make. And it's, it's nothing seems against like, him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, if you saw his outing on, on Monday, he seems like a guy who could use an all-star break here, right? Like, it was just everything, right. everything that was hit was crushed. Uh, he got yeah, out of it a little so, one run, but it was, it was, it was, they were destroying the ball. So I, I think, you know, that's, that's your concern about the bullpen is, is the guy who's probably been their go-to eighth inning guy. I actually don't know who leads this team in holds. Um, <laughs> that's not something I generally track. And it's not Colin Holderman, uh, who got his first hold last night uh, on Monday. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, but, uh, you know, Smith has been kind of the, the key guy in front of Diaz. And I, I'm not sure you want to, you, you, you can totally count on that continuing, you know, unabated through the second half of the season. Uh, and and they could also use a left-handed reliever, as we have said, for uh, nine months. Um, number one, uh, who has pitched the most eighth innings? Um, so no one has pitched in the eighth inning more frequently than Joely Rodriguez. Uh, but that's you know because for specialist reasons, I would guess. And then uh, Lugo and Smith, sixteen games apiece p- pitching in the eighth, and and Ottavino fourteen times. So uh, as you as you suggested, that like no one has no one has stepped up as that eighth inning guy, and no one has really been given that assignment. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think that's. That's a pretty clear need for them, uh, and we've talked about it for ad nauseum, and we will for the next uh, what twenty say twenty eight days uh, mm-hmm. until they get to that that point. Uh, it is uh, it's it is Drew Smith who leads the team in holds with fourteen. Uh, Lugo has twelve. Adovino eleven. Rodriguez eight. Um, but Rod- neither neither Rodriguez nor Shreve I think has had a hold situation in a month. Uh, so Shreve, that- Shreve has been struggling. I mean, yeah, he, he had his moments early in the season when he looked like he was—he might, you know, be a useful piece. He's been not someone I think you could trust right now. Yeah, so I, I think you know, 
he's his roster spot might be in trouble as things change and evolve over the, the course of the next uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do with, with Scherzer coming back on the roster today, uh, where they decide to, to make that roster move. But, you know, I, I think one of the reasons we, we've talked, we've spent so much time talking about the bullpen is you need to talk about something that's not going right. It's, I mean, it's right. like if, if we were doing a Yankees podcast, we would spend like 50% of the time talking about Joey Gallo uh, <laughs> rather than just saying like, ah, the team's really good, you know? Um, yeah, it- Discussing the the potential return of Brett Gardner, um, yeah. But like, and like, you know, for all like for all we've complained about the bullpen, like I said, like there's there they have one of one of the best closers in baseball and and two setup men with one fifty ERA pluses, right? So that's not a that's not a bad place to start from uh, when you're going to the trade deadline. Uh, which brings me to a question from Doug Berman, who emails us a bit. Uh, he emailed to ask. Uh, according to reports, the Mets' plan for the trade deadline this year is to take back significant and perhaps otherwise untradeable salary to get the pieces they need. Um, I guess this is, is sort of a two-part question. Do you, first, starting off, I'll say, do you buy that? This is not Doug's question. I'm just asking this for you. This is my question. Uh, I, I'm, I buy that they would be interested in doing that, mm-hmm. that they would rather take on cash than give good prospects. Good. The, uh, the opposite uh, of what they they've done in the past. Yeah. Right. As they should. That is uh, that is the right move when you have the the sports richest owner and he's willing to blow past the the salary, whatever we're calling them, the thresholds. Um, he said, "This is Doug's question." He says, "Can you speculate on some possible trade partners, the bad contracts they can take, and the talent that they could seek from that team for taking that bad contract?" Now that is a so that's like a, a level up Los Angeles Dodgers move, right? Where you take on the bad ca- contract and you get back prospects with them. Um, do you think that they'll be able to pull off something like that? Because that uh, that's always awesome when that happens. But it really feels like just the Dodgers pulled that off. Yeah, uh, like I'm not sure that there is a, a palatable contract that makes sense for them to do. I'd, I'd have to dig deeper to to, to find one. Uh, I, I, I saw people in, in the comments to one of my stories mentioned Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin's got $66.5 million left yeah, on his deal uh, for the next two years. It's like uh, maybe if you're going to get Juan Soto, right? But like, yeah, because, yeah, because of the way it's structured. And, and, you know, I think someone had said, like, oh, maybe you take Corbin back to get Josh Bell. Throw in Josh Bell's $3.5 million. Like, you're not paying $70 million for two months of Josh Bell. No. Uh, and and Cor- if you view Corbin as a sunk cost, that is that is what you're doing. You would do that for Juan Soto, um, but, but not for Josh Bell. Um, you know. People have mentioned Madison Bumgarner. I don't know what his no trade like. He he can block trades to certainty into like a list of five or six teams. Uh, my guess is he would have the New York teams on it um, because I, there's there's really been no sense he's ever wanted to pitch on the East Coast. Uh, and right. I don't know whether Arizona would want to trade him or just how much you'd want to take back in that, in that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe Jason Hayward with the Cubs. If you take on Hayward, maybe that lowers the cost for for someone else there. But you know, that's probably if you're trying to get Contreras, not if you're trying to get like David Robertson that you take on Jason Hayward as well. Uh, so it, it, I have not found the one that you say, oh well, that would you know that could really work the way like in the off season uh, we talked about a little bit. You know, if you wanted to trade for Luis Castillo or Tyler Male, you would take Eugenio Suarez back. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. You take Mustakis off of Cincinnati in order to get Castillo or Male. I, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing Tyler Tyler Male's name correctly. <laughs> um, if it's Mali, Mali, I'm not sure how soft the A is. Um, but if you take, you know, that's that's an option. 
you would think that Cincinnati would it'd be really hard-pressed to sell yet another one of those moves, <laughs> given the way their season right. has gone. But, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten this far, so maybe they do. What about, is there, like, a more, is there a reliever? Like, so, like, I'm thinking, I, 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 he's he's owed a lot. But, like, Rizel Iglesias, right, is set to make uh, $48 million over the next three years. Um, the Angels are, are falling out of it or have fallen out of it. Do you think there's a chance, like, a guy like that becomes, maybe, maybe not him. Uh, Liam Hendricks, another well-paid reliever. Um, the White Sox aren't really right there in the AL Central. Do you think there's a maybe an overpriced reliever that they can find out there? Uh, you know, it would have been Kimbrel at the start of the year right. uh, from the White Sox. That, that would have made some sense. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, I don't think the White Sox are, are in full sell-off mode for guys beyond the, the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. You know, Jose Abreu would be an interesting, an interesting potential target, but he seems like the kind of guy that they would not trade. Um, and with... Uh, with Iglesias, and did they? Is this the first year of his deal? I forget. If it's the, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's the, the first year of his deal. So I, I would not expect them to give up on on so quickly there as well. The, those are two teams that are having disappointing 2022s. Uh, but Chicago is actually like not that far out of it in the the AL Central, uh, and Anaheim, you know, can't rebuild like <laughs> with with Trout and Otani there. They've got to kind of go forward with what they've got. Uh, so I wouldn't expect them to make a move like that. Uh, I, yeah, I really do have to just kind of, kind of go through various rosters to see uh, who who is kind of over overpriced that a team would want to get rid of, and and who else could they attach to it that makes it appealing from the Mets' perspective. Yeah, I, Jose Abreu is that's not a that's not a guy there. Like I, I think I feel like he's become he's set for free agency after the year. I didn't realize that, but I feel like he's become such a cornerstone of that team, and he's still performing well enough that that's not a salary dump. That's a guy you have to trade talent for. Exactly. And, and I mean, I think it was before he had signed this most recent contract that's up at the end of the season. I think there was the thought that like they would they might move on from him. And when they gave him that contract, it was like, what, what are they paying Jose Abreu that amount of money for? And then he won the 2020 right. MVP. So uh, and, and was a, a good player for them last year. So they've kind of been justified in, in what they've given him over time. And that, that seems like, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, that ownership. Uh, likes to stick with their guys you know they, they had Paul Konerko for so long uh, they brought back Tony Larusa for uh, reasons uh, and and probably want to stick with Abreu for the rest of his career as well uh, well that seems like as good a place as any to wrap up with some early trade deadline some more early trade deadline talk uh, Tim I suppose we will do a live show later in the week yeah sounds good looking forward to it All right. uh, until then peace out adios adios